0: G'day, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to look again with you at the book of James today, James chapter 1 verses 13 to 18. Can I encourage you to have a Bible open so that you can read through it with me and think about what it means and how it applies to us. We'll also help you to have the outline that's on the order of service that hopefully you've downloaded. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for giving us your word. We pray that as we look at this important but a little bit tricky passage that you help us to understand what it's saying and what it's saying in its context and you help us to learn its very important lesson and we pray it in Jesus name. Amen. When I was in year nine of high school uh, a bloke called Simon he invited me to join his friendship group. I did and uh, Simon became a very close friend Within the group, eventually another bloke in the group uh, became a friend as well, my friend George. Uh, there are a couple of other blokes in the group who were, they, they were friends with Simon, Phil and Jason were their names, but, but I, I never really became good friends with them. And then uh, th- there was one other bloke. His name was Paul. Uh, Paul was also friends with Simon. He'd been um, uh, with Simon in the previous friendship group. But for some reason, For some reason, Paul always hated me. Now, I'm not conscious that I did anything to him in particular. Uh, I I think it was partly an anti-Semitic thing. He didn't like me because of my Jewish background. Um, Also, the fact that uh, I had previously been hanging around with the the Asian friendship group up until then, Paul, I think, was, uh, was a racist. Anyway, for whatever reason, Paul did not like me. Paul almost never talked to me. He, uh, he called me names and teased me. He, he, he bad-mouthed me to, to Simon and to the other guys in the group. And uh, eventually, because Simon, because um, he insisted on staying my friend, Paul stopped hanging around in the group. Let me ask you a question. How do you think I felt about Paul? How do you think I'd describe my, my feelings towards him? Do, do you think I'd have had warm and positive feelings about Paul? Do you, do you think I would have, would have loved the guy? Well, no, I didn't. Um, I mostly didn't think about him at all. I just tried to ignore him. But if I did think about him it was with feelings of strong dislike. I didn't like the guy then and in the um, nearly 40 years since school finished, I've never seen the guy again. It is hard to love people who hate you. That's, that's That's just natural, isn't it? It's hard to like people when you know that they don't like you. Do you know what, friends? It's the same with God. It's hard to love God if you don't think he loves you. It's hard to love God if you think he hates you. Now, there's a... There's a question that I often ask people. I think it's an important question. I ask, people, I ask people, do you feel like God loves you? Do you feel like God loves you? For most people I talk to, their answer is yes. Yes, I, I, I do feel like God loves me. My next question is this. I ask, why? What is it that makes you feel like God loves you? Now, the answer I most often get uh, is, is, is something like that, something like this. I know God loves me because he gives me so many good things. People tell me about the, 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 the nice, um, comfortable lives that they have, their, their good health, their wealth. People often talk to me about how God has answered their prayers they tell me about they tell me about good gifts that god has given them now in one sense in one sense that that's fine isn't it that's that's a perfectly good and, and right answer god does give us good gifts and we ought to thank him and we ought to love him for all of the good things that he does for for the lives that he gives us but just just think with me for one second can you see a danger Can you see the danger of feeling that God loves you because he gives you a nice life? Of of feeling that God loves you because of the good things he gives you? Of feeling that God loves you because um, you see him answer your prayers? Can you see the danger there? What if you don't have a good life? What if God gives you bad things, hard things? What if you suffer? What if everything goes wrong in your family and, and you get sick? And do, do, Does that mean that God then hates you? And if God hates you, well, how's that going to make you feel about him? Heard a bloke uh, speaking the other day and he was telling a story about his daughter. She was at university and her best friend was diagnosed with leukaemia, with blood cancer. Now she, she prayed and she prayed and she prayed for her friend but her friend's condition just got worse and worse. Eventually her friend had to go to hospital and the daughter actually took time off from her university course to, to go and visit her friend every day and help her... And over a period of a few weeks, she helped her friend as her friend, at the age of 22, died a slow and agonising death. A few weeks later, the dad found his daughter in her bedroom. She was crying inconsolably. He, he hugged her. He, he said, what's wrong? And she said this. She said, she said, God could have healed my friend, but he chose, he decided not to do it. He hurt her so badly and he refused to answer my prayers. God must hate us. And dad, I hate him. I hate God for what he did to us. what would you have said if you were the dad how would you have answered your daughter it's not easy to love someone who you think hates you and when we face tough times when we face tragedy when things go wrong it is easy to believe that God does hate us it's easy to believe that he's trying to harm us to hurt us to make us fall now remember the readers of this letter of James, they were doing it tough. They were facing terrible times. We, we saw it last week. These readers, do you remember, they were Jewish Christians. They had been living in Jerusalem. They'd been part of James's church in Jerusalem. But there was this terrible persecution against the church. It happened at the time when, uh, when Stephen was killed for being a Christian. There's this terrible persecution. And, uh, and, and these people, they had to... They had to flee Jerusalem. They had to, they had to run away. They lost everything. They had to leave it all behind in Jerusalem. Their family, their homes, their jobs, all of the possessions that they couldn't carry with them, all gone, all gone, and they became religious refugees living in a foreign country foreign language foreign culture foreign traditions nobody to help them and nothing and then Acts chapter 11 tells us there was a famine as James put it we saw it last week they were facing many kinds of trials James knows his readers are doing it tough but but as we saw last week he didn't just sympathize with them He told them, quite remarkably, he told them that they should consider suffering for Jesus as a joy. He told them that trials like they're facing, they can actually be good for your Christian faith. They can help you to grow in perseverance and they can help you to grow to a way more important goal than a comfortable life. That is to grow in Christian maturity. James also said that there is great reward for those who persevere through trials. He talked about um, the victor's crown. You know, you run the race and at the end you're given the the, the victor's crown. Well, he says there's a victor's crown of eternal life that waits for those who persevere through trials to the very end. But I want you to notice something. It's there at the end of verse 12. Uh, this, This great reward, it's for a certain kind of person. Have a look with me at chapter 12 and see if you can see who it is. James chapter 1 and verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. To whom has the Lord promised the crown of life? Who is it that will will overcome and be in heaven with Jesus? It's those who those who love him, those who love the Lord. But how are you going to love the Lord if you believe he hates you? How are you going to love the Lord if you think that he hates you? And, and for these readers, if it's having a good life back in Jerusalem that makes them feel like God loves them, well then, as they face their trials, the temptation will be to think that God does hate them. Do you see the issue? These readers, they need to keep loving God through their trials. But if their trials make them think that God hates them, well, that's going to be really difficult. Which brings us to verse 13. Now, here in verse 13, if you look in the NIV, it may look like James is completely changing the subject. It uh, looks like it has got no relationship to what comes before. He was, he's been talking about trials, the trials these religious refugees have been facing. He's been talking about that. But now in verse 13, suddenly he's talking about temptations. The thing is, though, there is actually a very important connection here. It's just that it's difficult to see it in our English Bibles. It's a problem. Uh, it's a problem with translating James into English. You see... In Greek, that's the language that James was writing in, the word for trial, the word that he's been using for the trials of many kinds that you've been facing, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, verse 12, uh, that, that word for trial, and the word for temptation, verse 13, it's the same word. Now, there's a difference between trials and temptations. They're two different things, but in Greek, it's the same word. It's a little bit like, uh, in English, the word marble. Now, the word marble in English, well, that can be, that can be the, the, uh, the, the wonderful stone that, uh, that Michelangelo carved his David out of. That's, that's marble. Uh, marble can also be a small glass ball that a child plays with. I mean, they're two very, very different things, but in English, it's the same word there's a difference between trials and temptations. Uh, in context here, the difference is in the intention that's behind them. Uh, you put someone through a trial because uh, you want them to be tested and, and to grow and to succeed. You want them to, 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 to pass the trial or test. You want them to uh, to, to, to benefit from it. But you uh, you tempt someone because you want them to fail. You want them to to, to mess up, to, 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 to fall. Now, for example, I, uh, I insist that my children do piano exams. Now, I know piano exams are a trial. I know that they are hard work. There's heaps of boring practice. Uh, when the day of the exam comes, it, 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 it's nerve wracking. But, but I make my kids do them. And why? Well, not because I want them to fail not because I want them to despair, not because I want them to suffer. I I make my kids do piano exams. I make them go through the trial of piano exams because I want them to succeed. I think it benefits them. Piano exams, yes, they are a trial. But I think they're good for my kids. But... But if I tempt you with a piece of chocolate cake my goal my my intention is quite different I want you to eat that piece of chocolate cake even though it's not good for you Uh, maybe it's to make me feel better about uh, eating my three pieces of chocolate cake Uh, maybe uh, maybe the fatter you are the thinner I feel Uh, whatever my evil motive I want you to eat that chocolate cake I'm, I'm not trying to test you I'm not uh, hoping that you will resist me and, and say no to the chocolate cake and remain thin. I'm not doing it for your good. No, no, I am tempting you. Can you see the difference? It, it's, it's in the intention. So, if the word for trial and the word for temptation is the same word, how can you tell Which one an author means in a sentence? Answer, you need to understand the context. And in the context here, I think James actually uses the word in two different senses in verse 13. I think the first time he uses the word, he's talking about trials. But the second time he uses the word, he's talking about tempting, temptation. So I would translate it like this. This is my my translation of verse 13. When you endure trials, no one should say, God is tempting me. See how the first time I've used it to mean trials, the second time, temptation. When you endure trials, no one should say, God is tempting me. Now, I'm sorry if this is a bit technical, um, but I I think it's important because... I think this is the clue to really help us understand how this verse fits in with what James has been talking about. James has been talking about trials, and he's still talking about trials in verse 13. He has been talking about trials. He's still talking about trials. This does flow in with what he's talking about. Uh, He's been calling on his readers to to persevere, loving God through trials, to receive the crown of life. And now he's dealing with a particular issue relating to trials. And it's it's got to do with what we think about God when we face trials. What we think about God when we face trials. How we think about God's intention towards us. And the point is this you ready? This is the point. God does not put us through trials because he hates us. God doesn't put us through trials in the hope that we'll fail. God doesn't put us through trials because he wants us to miss out on the crown of life. God isn't trying to tempt us. He's not trying to tempt us to sin or to despair or to give up. That is a wrong way of thinking about God's intention in trials. God doesn't tempt anyone in that sense. He doesn't try to, um, he doesn't try to trick anyone into, into sinning or failing or giving up. That's not who God is. Now come back with me again to verse 12, and with my slight change to the translation, see how it flows. Verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When facing trials, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Do you get the idea? Do you see how it flows? God does put trials in our path. They're not out of his control, but trials can be good for our Christian faith. That's what we've seen so far. They can build us in perseverance and in maturity. God, trials can be good for our Christian faith. And that is what God is intending. That's what God is hoping for, so to speak. He's not trying to tempt us. He's trying to do us good. He's hoping that these trials will produce perseverance and Christian maturity. He's hoping that we will grow through the trials and keep loving him and, and receive the crown of life. James goes on now to briefly talk about what does tempt us, what does lead us away from God during trials, and it's not God himself. It's us. It, it, it's, it's our own evil desires. It's our own desires that lead us to, to sin and, and ultimately to death. The end of verse 13. God doesn't tempt anyone, but, verse 14, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. It's not God who's tempting, it's from within us. And James then goes on to talk more about how God feels about us, about what God's intention is towards us. God doesn't want bad things for us. God doesn't hate us and he doesn't it's not like he keeps changing his mind about it either as if he you know one day he wants good for us but but then the next day he wants bad for us As if he loves us one day but then hates us the next day no no God is the giver of good gifts God is unchanging in his good intentions towards us God is unchanging in his attitude of love towards his people verse 16 don't be deceived my dear brothers and sisters Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And now James finishes by giving one example of God's good gift to us, and this is the example that proves once and for all God's unchanging love for us. God gave us the gift of Jesus. Jesus died and he rose again for us so that we can have new life, new birth, and so we can be what James calls a first fruits of creation. That is, we're the beginning of the harvest of heaven, so to speak. Uh, God has this coming new eternal kingdom and we're the start of it. We're the beginning of it. That's the great gift God has given to us, new life to be part of his eternal kingdom. And, And this gift, this gift of Jesus, well, that proves beyond all doubt that he eternally unchangeably loves his people. Verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. All right. Can you see what's here in this passage? Uh, James is writing to his old congregation. These, These Jewish Christians from Jerusalem, they're now Christian refugees. He's talking about the trials that they've been facing and what he's saying is this, God isn't trying to tempt them through these trials. God isn't hoping they'll fail. God isn't hoping they'll sin. God isn't hoping they'll fall away. God doesn't hate them. That's not why they're facing these tough times. No, 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 no. God loves them. He he is the giver of good gifts. He unwaveringly, unchangeably, eternally loves them. He wants the very best for them and he's proved it by giving them the gift of new life in Jesus. He's proved it by bringing them them into his eternal kingdom through Jesus. Can you see the point of the passage? And can you see why it's so important? The Lord has promised the crown of life to those who love him. It is vital that these readers, that they keep on loving God to the very end. But it's hard to love someone if you think they hate you. And it is very easy when you're facing trials to think that God does hate you. And so James, he needs to make it clear. He wants to make it clear. These trials that his readers are facing, these tough times, all the terrible things that are happening to them, they are not happening because God hates them. God's not trying to tempt them. He doesn't want them to fall. God loves them. And so they should persevere loving the Lord, even through their trials, confident that he loves them. Okay, let's, let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. Friends, this is a really important passage of Scripture. The crown of life waits for those who love God. Even through trials, even through suffering, even through unanswered prayer, the crown of life is for those who love God. And so it is vitally important that we know, even in our trials, that God loves us it's vitally important that we never make the mistake of thinking that God hates us or he's he's trying to do wrong by us when he puts us through trials do you remember that dad I was talking about before the one whose daughter's friend died and then his daughter told her that she God obviously hated her and so she hated God do you want to know what he said to her I, I think it was very wise what he said uh, the first thing he said was this: He said, he, "He said, it is good that you are talking to me about this. It's good that you're telling me you feel this way. God knows your heart anyway. There's no point pretending or, or, or lying about how you feel, and and you only need to look at the Psalms to see it's it, it's okay to pour out your feelings to God." Second thing he said. The second thing he said was this: He said. He said, what kind of God do you want? Do do you really want a God who has to do everything that you say, like a genie in a bottle? I mean, if God has to do everything you say, well, then who really is God? You or him? Or do you want a God who is so big that sometimes he'll do things that you don't understand. And, and then the third thing he said is this, and I, and I think it really reflects magnificently what this passage is saying, which is why I'm telling you the story. Um, he said, and, and, and let, me, let me quote directly from what he said. He said this. He said, You lost your best friend. God lost his son. In fact, he didn't lose him. He gave him. And he didn't have to. Before you become too convinced that God doesn't care for you, measure things in terms of a little hill outside Jerusalem. You feel abandoned and crushed, but never forget. God is good. God loves you. And he's proved it beyond all doubt at the cross. Friends, it is so important that we get this clear. God loves you unwaveringly. No matter what you've done, no matter what you do, God loves you. It's also important that we get this clear. How do we know God loves us? How can we be sure that God loves us? He is the God who gives us every good and perfect gift that's here in James and all the stuff we enjoy in life is, is a function of God's love. It shows us God's love and if he, if he chooses graciously to answer our prayers that's, that's because he loves us. If life is good we should thank God for his love and kindness towards us and, and, and it is evidence of his love. We can know his love that way friends, that's not the ultimate expression of God's love. And that's not the the foundation on which we want to build our understanding that God loves us. The the ultimate expression of God's unchanging love for us, that's seen in Jesus. It's seen in Jesus dying in agony on a cross to to, to give us new life and a place in God's eternal kingdom. And so friends, the, the beauty of that, apart from its it's reality. The beauty of that is that doesn't change in our changing circumstances, does it? And so, friends, even when life is bad, we can still know that it's true. Even, even, if, even when everything goes wrong, we can still know it's true. Even, even if our worst nightmare happens, we can still know it's true. Even in our trials, we know God loves us. God loves us. And knowing that, well, we can, we should, we must persevere loving our Heavenly Father, no matter what, to the very end. Let's pray. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your magnificent mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that through him you've given birth to us through the word of truth, given us new life so we can be the first fruits of all you've created, so we can be part of the harvest of heaven and with you forever. Thank you for this ultimate, eternal expression of your love. So, Father, please help us to know that you are the God who unwaveringly, unchangeably loves us, no matter what our circumstances. And so help us, whatever trials we face, to keep on loving you, to keep on persevering, until that day that we receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him please help us by this in this by the power of your spirit we pray in Jesus name amen